Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. So I saw your kid, kid uh, hanging out in your window still dressed up as Spider-Man yesterday, or two days ago, or whenever it was. He takes the uh, couch cushions off the couch and piles them up so he can climb up there to sit in the windowsill. And then I made I made the stupid mistake of being like, "What are you, Spider Man?" And then he had to put on a Spider Man costume. <laughs> However, sure then he did wear the costume when we went to see the movie. So, yeah, I saw that too. And I was super happy when he's like, "Can I wear my Spider Man costume to the Spider Man movie?" I'm like, "You sure can." <laughs> he's like, "Are you allowed to do that?" I'm like, "Yes, you are. Yes, you are." Nobody's allowed to tell you otherwise. No, you have to put on your Batman costume to go. So you uh, you going to take your kid to see Batman next week? I don't think I'm going to take him to see that one. I'm not <laughs> sure if he's quite ready for that. That daredevil-like violence might not be appropriate for a five-year-old. You mean when he just keeps unloading on that one guy? I don't see that being a problem. Shit, oh, my, one. my older brother and my nieces and nephews went to see Batman with me. And we were talking afterwards, and I was like, so have you guys been watching Peacemaker? And they're like, we can't watch Peacemaker. And I was like, well, why not? And they're like, because Eli wants to watch it, but it's too adult, and he can't watch it. And I was like, Eli's fucking 14. Oh, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I, got, I was like, This show is made for 14-year-olds. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I get that there's some like nudity and stuff in it, but it's not like he's fucking 10. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah, that's like, at fourteen. He knows how to use the internet. There's right. <laughs> protecting him from TV is no longer a use useful task. Right. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I think it's a little foul and stuff, but I just, I, I mean, fourteens. Who? Can, yeah, he should be sneaking into rated R movies all over the place. Yeah. In in reality, he's probably already watched it, but. His parents just don't know about it, so he has to pretend that he hasn't seen it. That's the reality I want to live in. <laughs> yeah, somebody was asking on Facebook the other day, like, like I'm trying to be like a cool dad and stuff, but how uh, how young is too young to watch RoboCop? see that's it's an impossible question because for those of us who were alive in 1987 Mm -hmm. however old you were that's how old you were (laughs) like that we didn't have these thoughtful discussions back then nope like i saw when i was seven or eight so take that for what it's worth the, the first time that you got the free movie channel for the weekend that was it that's when you saw robocop 
I'm just getting ready to say, I think I would have been four whenever it came out. But I'm also 100% sure I saw it before the 80s were over. So it's a very short period of time between then and seeing (laughs) it, which which means I was less than eight years old whenever I saw RoboCop for the first time. No, I was. It was 1987. I don't know exactly how old I was. Depends on the time of year, I guess. But (laughs) when they put things out, that's when you saw them. Oh, yeah. My parents rented all kinds of shit. Didn't really pay that close of attention if I was watching it or not. I I think I've told this before, but like my dad used to wait in the car and like the video rental guy would look out. My dad would wave. And that was the (laughs) sign that we could pick out our own rated R movies. He wasn't coming in. My dad didn't like the kinds of movies I watched, so he didn't watch them with me. So he had no idea what we were watching. Yeah, I think I was like 12 just because there was like a gas station right down the street from my house for rented movies. And I basically just like I never had a parent go in or anything. I was just like, yeah, I want to rent this. And the guys are like, yeah, all right. Like, I don't give a shit. We actually had a fucking gas station. We had the one video store that would actually your parents could go in and like put it on record that you were allowed to rent whatever you wanted. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we had. So it was like they had a a car system said uh, what rating you were allowed to. Ours ours was an actual computerized system. I remember that they'd like they'd call it up and they'd be like, oh, yeah, it says here your mom lets you rent rated our movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. Yeah, there was no such discussion. It was just, yeah, okay. We didn't, we didn't do that back then. It was just, <laughs> it's so funny now, like to see, like, because even like, like the p- parents from back then who are grandparents now are like protective of the grandkids, and it's like, where were you when I was growing up? <laughs> like, it's, oh yeah, my, my mom's. So, that so way. you knew it was wrong. You knew it was wrong, and you just didn't care about your kids. Is that what was going on? <laughs> Fucking my mom's that, my mom's that way. She's like, these kids don't need to be watching this. And I'm like, mom, mm-hmm. I watched Friday the 13th part four before I left for out of afternoon kindergarten. Like, I don't know what kind of moral stand you're trying to make right now, but <laughs> my mom gave me shit for showing like jaws to like a four year old once. And I'm like, I was, do you have any idea what I was watching at this point? I wonder if that was more of a, uh, oh shit, she's going to be scared of water situation. <laughs> so she didn't want to have to deal with the, uh, the uh, fallout from watching that movie. I don't know. Oh, it had the opposite effect. The kid just loved the water. Oh, well, it all worked out so, though. Yeah. <sighs> I have no idea how we're going to transition this into our haunted house topic for the week. It's um, possible. Yeah, I don't know. Just trying to think if there's any water in both these movies, and not really. So no, is there is there water in the? I mean, I'm sure at some point in each movie, somebody takes a sip of water. <laughs> Feels like it has to be true. <laughs> um. All right. Well, Noah, why don't you tell us about uh, the haunting? Uh. Yeah. So a uh, a professor. Uh, a psychically active woman and a traumatized girl uh, and a douchebag <laughs> spend a few nights in a haunted house 
and a traumatized girl slowly goes crazier and crazier until uh, she dies. That, that's pretty much the. There's some other stuff going on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's really not a plot heavy movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, what did you think of it, Noah? Uh, it was all right. I thought so. The the girl playing the the main character, the traumatized girl who's uh, who the house wants or whatever. Her character is so fucking over the top that by the end, you're like, fuck it. I hope the house kills you. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it that the other people are kind of being awful. You know, the professor's just kind of using her. And then that one chick's just kind of a bitch for no reason. And that other dude's an entitled asshole. I get it. But at the same time, they're not fucking annoying. I was going to say, you called her a bitch for no reason. You got to remember, she shared a room with this girl for a while. Oh, yeah. She did have to stay yeah. in that room. <laughs> That'd be enough to drive it, me crazy. It is a weird, like, 19, 1960s or 50s thing, I guess, where it's like, she's having a bad time. Make her sleep in the room with the other. Like, why do the men get to tell them what room to sleep in? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you go sleep in the room with the other girl. That's That's where you belong. That'll solve the problem of your ever-growing insanity. Uh, so, Doug, I know you're a big fan of the story, at least. Because uh, yeah. it's based on the same story that the Haunting of Hill House series is based off of. Yes, but it's not really the same story. It's just... <laughs> apparently, this is a much more accurate adaptation. That's that's um, what Char said. Char's a big fan of this book, and she said that this movie okay. follows the book pretty spot on. I had I had a whole thing where I went looking for somebody who had seen this movie and read the book, and I found lots of people that have seen this movie and lots of people who have read the book, and I couldn't find anyone who's done both. So I'm like, is it accurate? I don't know. Char had only read the book, and, and, now, and now she has seen it. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's... Um, I actually... I, I think I'm going to be the, probably the most positive on it based on the tone of voice you guys are using. <laughs> I really like this movie a lot. I actually like watched it twice this week. Um, like once for real. And then once I put it on in the background while I was working rather than listening to podcasts, like I normally do uh, because I was, enjoy- I liked it that much. I don't find the character annoying. I, I know the acting style is of its age and then that can be frustrating for people. It's a bit more over the top than what we're used to dealing with, but it is to me, it's a good depiction given the acting style. I liked everything about this movie. I liked the, even the use of the like voiceovers that she does. I'm like, I can go with that because it's helping me understand what's going on in her brain when in a way that there's no real other way to do it. I thought it was like an expertly made film, like the the use of camera angles and like the zoom in on people's faces at certain times and the use of sound to make everything creepy and scary. I thought worked really well. I was a huge fan of this movie. Where's that leave you, Brian? Uh, I thought it was okay. Um, I've seen it before and wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, saw it this time and thought it was okay. Uh, to be fair, I did fall asleep during part of it, so maybe that helped. <laughs> or hurt. Haunted house movies aren't my thing either. Kind of um, I do like the atmosphere. Just how dark it is, how how dark it's shot, I think really lends to it. Yeah. Um, 
There is some creepy moments, like when she keeps complaining about the other girl, like squeezing her hand too hard, and then like the lights come up, yeah. and the woman's on the other side of the room, and she has been asleep this whole time. I like that moment a lot. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I think the best part of the whole movie is whenever the door is breathing. I was like, that's a really fucking good effect for an old black and white movie. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked that first night when all those loud knocking noises were coming. And all those girls were freaking out in their room. And they do a lot of that, like, zoom in on their face. And they're just like, what the fuck is going on? I really liked that night. I thought that was really fun to watch them be scared to death. I mean, the, the, the movie certainly lacks in plot, which I assume stems from the book being much more introspective than what you can show on film. Uh, again, that's an assumption. But it, it felt maybe a little bit stretched out just to try to make, like, everything happen. But I, I think it worked because it added to the atmosphere. But it... It's a long movie, considering the plot description is three sentences long. feel like I remembered it ending with somebody hanging themselves from the staircase. It didn't end that way. So I don't know where I got that from. Because somebody hangs himself from the staircase at the beginning? Yeah, but I feel like I remembered the ending being that his wife goes crazy and then ends up hanging herself from the staircase. But it doesn't happen. You're right. That doesn't happen. Maybe know. um, maybe there's something from the show that's bleeding over. But I think I think that's probably what it is. The show had a lot of that imagery in it. It's but, surprising how much the show is a completely different beast from what this is, like storyline-wise. Yeah, it's like oh, these are yeah. totally different. Other yeah, other than the names of the characters. And the uh, modus operandi of a few of the deaths, there is just yeah. nothing. They have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. I mean, there there's bits and pieces with like the um, the caretaker couple that like refuses to stay past time, and I liked the version of them in this story where they're you mean dickheads. We who must leave because no one in town will come here in the night. Yes, in the dark. <laughs> Yeah, when those the, guys. When the sun is like on the other the man side man of the was earth. Kind of a I really liked the second time because there was not a single person in that interaction that wasn't a piece of shit. Like the two girls were just talking over that woman, trying to give them the instructions. Yeah, and then at the same time, she was just like, you know, you stupid bastards i hope you die in this haunted house you know? it is kind of a weird thing that you've got this caretaker couple who are just hanging around going like we know you're all going to die by coming here but breakfast will be here when you wake up so there's that <laughs> no one can hear you if you scream at night town's the closest place anyone lives i don't clean up after dinner so if you die in the night, I might not clean it up in the morning either, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that couple of this movie because I just and then when they call the guy out on it, they're like, you're not being very nice. And he's like, well, nobody else will take this job. You guys are stuck with me. What do you why would I go out of my way to be nice? And it's like, all right, good point. Good point. <laughs> you have the leverage here. No one's mowing their own lawn in this world. So <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big fan of the caretakers and just how like obnoxiously frustrated there with everything. There's that whole scene where they're having like a late breakfast and talking and she keeps coming in and she's like, it's 10 o'clock. I need to, I need to clean up and start getting ready for lunch. And they're like, 
that's fine, whatever. And she's like, no. <laughs> this, is, this is the agreement I have. It's 10 o'clock. <laughs> God damn it. They really don't want the people there. They're like, you city folk do not belong in our haunted house. Please stay out of our way. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did like when he first showed up, too. Like the, the nervous woman. Mel shows up and she's like, I need to get in. He's like, no, why? She's like, I am expected that she, she was very proud that she was expected at this house and used that phrase over and over again. Yeah. And he's just like, whatever, get the fuck out of here. Could <laughs> That's her a, life. She, was, she was like an interesting character too, though. Cause it was like, she kept referring to going to the haunted house as vacation. And it's like, she kept lying about like where she lived and stuff. And she really lives in her like, her sister's living room. She's just sad a little bit. Like you're just like, all right. I can see why you would want to be here compared to everybody else. Well, at yeah. the beginning of the movie, you kind of like it's pretty obvious why she's so fucked up. You know, she has issues and stuff, and then her fucking yeah. sister's a fucking what a bitch. bitch. Jesus, it's like that car is equally fifty fifty ours, and she's like, nope, that's my car. You can't be trusted because you're blinky and weird. But it's like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? <laughs> the other person won't agree to let you use the car. Well, she handles it correctly. She steals oh, yeah. the car and she runs just off. It. Like it's, she just takes the right it. move. But when you're having that conversation and she's like, I don't think I'll be letting you use my car. It's just like, oh, you bitch. It is. Arguing with an irrational person is the worst thing in the world. Because you're like, well, actually, I pay God. for half the car. It's mine. And they're like, no. I choose not to recognize those facts. And it's like, well, but that's a solid argument. I paid for half the car. I should be allowed to use it. No, sorry. <laughs> and even that one moment where even like we say she lives in her sister's living room, which is technically correct. But when she's like, get out of my bedroom, the sister says, well, I'll remind you, you're in my living room. And she looks at her and goes, no, no, no. I pay a significant portion of the rent here. I'm entitled to my space. And it's like, oh, so why are we calling it the sister's uh, living room if she's paying the rent? Like, she's like an abused person. She's been convinced that she lives in her sister's living room. But really, her sister it, ha- has a living room in her bedroom. Like, it's <laughs> she's paying if she's paying a significant portion of the rent, they don't get into the percentage breakdown. But she's entitled to a room in that house. And why is anyone else allowed in there? Yeah. Yeah. So, it was a good exchange. Yeah. It, I think it does a good job of setting up like a, why she would go to a haunted house B why she insists on staying when things get shitty and then see like how damaged she is and why she, it's so easy for the house to kind of push her over the edge, which I really liked. Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. No, no bent neck lady in this, which is disappointing. Yeah. Well. <laughs> she's, she's creepy as fuck in the show. Yeah. I will say it was interesting, like, because basically this got put on the list because after I watched the show, I'm like, I'll read the book. And then I, like, checked all my library apps and none of them had the book. And then I tried to order a hard copy of the book and they wanted, like, $30 for it. I'm like, nope, I'm putting the movie on the list. And that way we'll all just watch it. <laughs> so I was like, my knowledge of this story is, you know, reputation plus that that show, which I really liked. Um, so I'm like, expecting a similar style story and it opens up with all this back 
like backstory of all the things that have happened in this house over the years. So I'm expecting all of those to kind of like these characters to be related to those characters and stuff. And I'm like, no, no, not at all. That's all just, that's all I'm planning it, I guess. Oh, this was the first time watch for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. For some reason I thought you had seen it before. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'm super happy. I watched it. I think like, I think, like I say, I think I'm the most positive one here on it. I really, I don't have any complaints. I, I mean, obviously, if you were a feminist and you watch this movie, you're going to have a bit of an issue with the way the women are treated. But, I, mean, I mean, the movie came out in 1963. Everything, it's and, everything short of them accusing her of having a wandering uterus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's even a there's even a point in this movie where the guy uh, opens a closet and a broom falls out, and he goes, "Well, that settles it. One of you two is a witch," and I'm like, "That's." I mean, maybe that's kind of a funny joke amongst friends, but you're in a workplace. Come on. <laughs> this haunted house is your workplace. That's the way I chose to see it, by the way. I, uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen the movie before. I think the problem is I watched it second today because I watched them both back yeah. to back. And I think since the movie's plots are so similar that maybe I was burnt out by the time I watched it. It is, what? yeah. What on earth could you say is similar? <laughs> this movie is a professor and a psychic girl and a traumatized girl uh, staying in a house for a week to study hauntings. And the other one is a professor, a psychic girl, and a traumatized guy staying in a house for a week <laughs> this is totally hunting. different yeah i cannot believe how much of a ripoff of this story the other movie was like well, just and they're both based in. off of books so maybe richard matheson owes this fucking uh what's it what's her face shelly uh yeah shirley jackson shirley jackson shirley jackson yeah you know that one of the most famous authors of all time her what's what's her face <laughs> listen if it's not stephen king i don't know their name <laughs> You just said Richard Matheson's name. Yeah, the only reason why I know it is because <laughs> I saw it pop up at the beginning of the movie, and it said based on a book by Richard Matheson. And my first thought was, oh, he owes that other chick some money <laughs> because he stole her shit. Yeah, I've actually read that book, and it is pretty similar. It's, I mean, I like I say, I I put these on the list having not seen either one of them, and. You know, oh, they're both about people like going into a house to look at hauntings, not expecting it to be the exact same movie <laughs> twice. <laughs> it is. Well, it's not the exact same movie. No, because the yeah, the, the, the first movie is entirely around like you're a woman and hysterical. And the second movie is set in the 70s. So it's you're a woman and your innate sexuality is a threat to everyone around you. Yeah, and I was reading the trivia, and well, apparently, apparently Richard Matheson toned the sexuality down from the book. So, sure, that, sure. like that professor's wife just keeps getting up in the middle of the night and trying to fuck that traumatized guy. <laughs> she just keeps doing it. <laughs> she just like every like every night she just gets up, wanders downstairs, and some nights they're like, "Oh, she's possessed." Other nights they're like, "Oh, she's sleepwalking," but she comes down every night. Yeah. Then she has that weird voice. It's just, just Roddy McDowell with a drink in his hand every time she gets down the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> of course, he knows she's coming. He's like, oh, God, again? I love that drink. 
I love. Yes, I'll have to That's check the out one this element. chick's tits and then slap her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I the didn't do it, I swear. I love this story it. that's different from the other one. When, uh, when, when the Roddy McDowell character is just like, no, I'm not here to do anything. I'm just, I am here to sit quietly by for a week so that I can collect my money because I already survived this house once. I am not going to battle with it again. <laughs> and he's just like, I... I am not involved in all of the stuff you other people are doing. He's like, I will just be over here drinking. Leave me alone. I love that. Sounds about where I would be. Yeah. Well, uh, sounds like Doug, you loved the haunting. You know, yeah. we're okay about it. Since we're, uh, kind of talking about it and sort of already talked about the plot. You want to tell us about the legend of hell? Yeah. I mean, the group is there to study this house hired by an old man to go and study this old haunted house. <laughs> About the only thing different is that the ghost in Legend of Hell House is super horny and keeps hitting on that one girl and trying to get her into bed, which is weird because I thought Scary Movie 2 made that up, but apparently they got it right from the movie. <laughs> um, I guess they added the part where she was into it in the in the, the parody version. Um, <laughs> and then the professor does like end up building like a machine that is going to suck the ghostly energy out. And that's an interesting little twist because then the house starts like possessing people to try to stop him because apparently they anticipating that machine working. So that's about all the plot differences. And they actually find a body in the house at one point because it's the seventies and they wanted to do a gross special effect. Not only a body, but Bruce Wayne's butler, Alfred. Is it? It's Michael Goff who played Alfred in the oh. 80s and 90s oh, okay. movies. Yeah. yeah, I just didn't recognize him from back then. Yeah. So this one, the the other one, while it's not my thing, I didn't find it like boring at all. And this one, for some odd reason, even though there is a lot of interesting and exciting things that happen in the movie, there's some kind of a pacing issue where it like, it like ratchets up and then stops and ratchets up and then stops. And you keep going. Ah. I, yeah, I, I think I, that's by design. Yeah, I don't like it. It makes it yeah. makes the movie feel like it drags. I definitely feel like this movie felt like it was the same length as the other movie, but it's in reality, like, almost 40 minutes shorter, I think. So that tells you that, yeah, I guess that's a valid thing that it is dragging a little. I didn't find it was a problem, but mostly because it's such a short movie. I mean, and once again, it had such great stuff like that. The wife keeps getting possessed and trying to fuck that guy. <laughs> and then there is the uh, psychic chick who's trying to fuck the ghost. Yeah. Uh, and then she fights a fucking cat and it's great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that scene of them throwing a fucking cat at her and her having to bat it away. It's pretty awesome. I really, I really like the cat scene. And then when they find the dead cat, I really enjoyed that as well. Um, I, everything involved in that cat was fun. What about the uh, ectoplasm scene? Where they were trying to catch it. They were trying to get the ghosts to drop ectoplasm yeah. into the jar for them. They're like, leave a specimen in the jar. Did you did you notice that his description of ectoplasm sounds suspiciously like it's nut? <laughs> I mean, He's like, it's all organic. Don't... It's got this and this and this, but mostly it's just oozy organic fluid. All right, well, most descriptions of ectoplasm end up sounding like 
that. So what do you do? I guess it doesn't help with the sexually charged nature of this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did, did you, you think it was weird the? Go ahead. Oh, she said, did you think it's weird that the ghost was pretending to be the ghost's son? Like, because <laughs> at one point, that it based, but it's like, it's weird because it's like, he's like, well, everyone will help me solve all my ghostly problems if I pretend to be my son. Why don't you just be a nice ghost then instead of trying to trick him? <laughs> like, it's weird. It's like, because he's evil, he has to pretend to be his son so that everyone will think he's good, but. I don't really get why everyone thinks the son is good and the dad is evil if he wasn't behaving evilly. So. Well, I mean, fuck. The big reveal at the end of the movie is that it turns out that the evil Gus guy, whenever he was alive, was actually quite short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where his true. anger came from because he was. He had little man syndrome. He was short. And he had his legs amputated and actually wore prosthetics to make him look taller. And his perfectly preserved corpse was hidden in the house, still wearing his prosthetic legs. Mm-hmm. So oh, weird. also, the room was made out of lead sheeting so that it would protect his soul? Protect that energy field that the doctor was trying to drain. Was it, is that the soul? Is that what we're to take from that? I guess. It's not made clear. It's real weird. The, the, the resolution of the movie, you're like, wait, were they hinting at this throughout this movie? Was, is there, did I miss that? Did no. I miss all this short, short man thing, energy? No. The energy thing is like, it's like the the guy that was the ghost had figured out what the doctor figures out in the movie, which is that when you die, you leave this like energy. And so that's where the doctor's trying to drain it. And that's why the ghost is pissed at him and tries to have him killed. But it's the the shortness thing comes out of nowhere for me. Anyway, I kind of forgot about it because it's so irrelevant plot wise. It's just like they, <laughs> this ghost needs a motivation. What if he's just little? OK, that'll be it. That's good. What if he's tiny? It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, wasn't this literally like the plot of a Seinfeld episode where like the little guy was all angry because he was little. So then he started to make himself taller. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happened. And then the little people community got mad. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, uh, this is not Richard Matheson's best work. No. It, it, the story was lacking. It, I mean, the fact that it's so derivative of the other movie we watched this week isn't really anybody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff is derivative and still passable because yeah. it's, you know, you're not meant to watch movies back to back um but the fact that like the guy's motivation was his shortness and all that is it's weak the the good news in this movie is you have a chick fighting a cat you have that cool like poltergeist dinner scene where plates are just flying at the dude's face (laughs) that's fun you know yeah i don't remember much about the book I don't remember if it was pretty close to this or not, but yeah. assuming it was, but didn't, it's not, am I wrong? I don't, I don't have it open. I don't have anything in front of me, but like was Matheson not credited with the script as well? Uh, I believe he was. Yeah. So I think he would probably be pretty true to himself when adapting it, but yeah, it but... might also, some of the stuff works better in, book form just because you can describe atmosphere better than you can sometimes show it right 
Mm-hmm. And you can kind of create, you can let people know what's going on in these characters' heads and not just what they say. So sometimes the book, uh, first ghost stories specifically, sometimes books can be better. Because yeah. if you don't buy into the atmosphere right away, the movies kind of fall apart. But he was usually pretty good about divorcing himself from the books if he did the screenplay on stuff. So yeah, he usually never had a problem like chopping stuff up and because he also had a pen name. I think it's Logan Swanson that he would write under for uh, uh, screenplays and stuff. So okay, just to chop up his stories all the time. Didn't seem to have a huge problem with it. But I agree. I mean, the fact that I don't really remember much about the book would lead me to think that the book wasn't that memorable because there's a couple other books that I think are pretty fantastic. So, so I don't know. This is a, I mean, we haven't talked much about these movies. I feel like, but I don't know what's left to say because there's some atmosphere <laughs> right? driven films. It's how do we feel about Roger McDowell in this movie? Oh, man, he was the highlight for me. No, as far as the characters go, he's, al- he's always a highlight. He's always fantastic. Yeah, I just that whole thing, uh, man. That speech he gives about like I survived this house once. That's why I got invited back. I just want my hundred grand, hundred grand in like nineteen seventy three money. Yeah. That's good money, man. Like I don't blame him. You retire on that. A good payday. So, there hundred. It was even a hundred. That was it. It was pounds too. So I don't know. Maybe that. I don't know if that helps my point or hurts my point. To be honest. <laughs> Well, anything else? I don't really know what else to say about them. I feel like no, both, of, both mean, the movies are just okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more positive on the haunting. Um, don't make if you are going to take my advice, make sure you type in the haunting and then 1963 after it because I've seen that <laughs> other one too. <laughs> but you know, we're not going there. Um. I think I, I saw know. that shit in the theater. Yeah, well. I was like, we who's this Owen Wilson guy? He's not going to be going very big places. We, we don't need to talk about it. Remember when Catherine Zeta-Jones plays like the horny chick in it? Yep. That is the one thing I think, because I think based on reputation in the book that Theo is uh, quite the lesbian, and they really edited that out of the 63 version of the movie, because I just don't think they felt audiences were ready for it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's still couple, some little hints at yeah. it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a couple little nods here and there, but it's they yeah. don't just come right out and say it. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, anybody watch anything since last week? I watched a thing. Well, I guess two things. Okay. Watched the Batman. I'm sure we'll talk about that at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, then I also yeah. watched Joe versus Carol. Oh, Jesus. You gave in? Which what is the, the hell drama- is- That is the dramatized version of Tiger King. Oh. With Kate McKinnon Shit. playing Carol Baskin? Yeah, with Kate McKinnon. As- oh, my God. And she fucking nails Carol Baskin. <laughs> I didn't even know you could watch that yet. Yeah, it's on uh, NBC. Peacock. So, I... 
I don't know. So the acting wasn't super great. Like you can tell it's just like a show that they threw together to make money. If that makes sense. It's yeah. just a cash in. But the show does something that I really wasn't expecting. I was kind of expecting it to uh, do a little bit of what the documentary does and like kind of hint at both sides of, you know, everybody. And instead it uh, puts Carol Baskin in the brightest possible good standing light that it can through the entire thing. And everyone else is shit, <laughs> which is really I was like, OK, now make a joke about Carol. And they're like, no, we're not making a joke about Carol. Carol is an accomplished businesswoman with drive and she's a, a genius and she's moved forth this legislation. And you're like, OK, she's she's also a fucking weirdo who doesn't pay her employees, which they bring up once. And then ignore the rest of the time. Instead, they're like, yeah, Joe lets people live in shitty fucking trailers. And it's like, yeah. And Carol doesn't even do that. She doesn't pay her employees. And they're like, yeah, but we're yeah. not going to talk about that. <laughs> it seems weird to try and paint anyone as a good guy if you're going to tell that story. I think you just need to accept that everybody sucks. <laughs> well, I I agree with some people in a certain light that Carol Baskin did get a little bit of the shaft in that documentary where maybe they made her look worse than they should have. Well, they, yes, Although they played a, up the murder angle more than was necessary considering the facts that they have. Right, right. And, and considering the fact that even if she did murder her husband, which she probably did, I think we could all <laughs> accept that she probably did. That that has no bearing on the actual fucking story. Well, I think they're saving all the juice for the one where Nicolas Cage is going to play Joe Exotic. So <laughs> you, th you think I'm making a joke, but that that's he signed on for one. I was going to say, God. I actually just saw the trailer for, uh, oh, God damn it. What's the movie called? But it's the, un it's the unbearable the weight word. of excessive talent. Yeah. Is that what it's called? I cannot wait. I, it, it looks I, ridiculous. I just saw the trailer for the first time myself. That trailer caught me so fucking off guard. I was like, oh, my God, Nick Cage is going to be in a movie that's actually going to theaters again. And then I was like, himself. wait, it's Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. Wait, it's Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. Who's going to become an <laughs> undercover agent trying to take down a cartel guy. It feels like it's like the three amigos story, but with Nick Cage, which is hilarious to me. And everything you're saying is not gold. Oh, oh the, best, no, the best moment of I'm, that trailer is where the guy pulls his guns and Nick Cage pulls his guns. And Pedro Pascal looks down and goes, are those my golden guns? And he goes, no. My golden <laughs> I just like when he sees his wax figure and he's like, this is the most grotesque thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I will pay you $20,000 for it. <laughs> so accurate. <laughs> Does it seem like Nick Cage playing himself has a little bit of fake hair going on, though? That's what I noticed in it. I'm like, that's not his hairline. That's definitely not <laughs> he's his playing hairline. an idealized playing an idealized version of nick cage uh he pretty much wears a hairpiece in every movie he's in so it's not surprising yeah I don't know. but if he's playing himself you'd think hypothetically he wouldn't but <laughs> well maybe there's a joke in there maybe we'll see him put his toupee on we don't know i, th 
I think we might be moving into an era of a second cage renaissance. <laughs> uh, I hope so. Because because we had weird blockbuster Nick Cage, and then we moved on to uh, I will be in whatever weird fucking movie you put me in, Nick Cage. Now maybe we're going into Nick Cage, the actor. When uh, Mandy came out, he was describing himself in interviews as the Klaus Kinski of the West Coast. (laughs) I don't know. Nick Cage doesn't have a horrible fish mouth. That's also true. (laughs) But that's it. Those are the only two things I watched. I've been really busy. So. What'd you watch, Doug? Yeah. Uh, let's see a couple things. The big one. Um, I finally got around to the new season of Dexter. Oh yeah. So I was supposed to watch that over the course of a couple of weeks, and it turned out to be a couple of days because <laughs> I'm not good at patience. It's not my. <laughs> it's not my strong suit. Um, it's pretty good. It's certainly a much better ending to the Dexter story than the previous attempt. So, mm-hmm. um, there's some real lazy writing in it, though. Like they ignore the fact that when you walk in snow, you leave footprints, and therefore anyone can follow you anywhere through most of the show. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, and it was bugging the shit out of me. I'm like, how come no one's bringing up the footprints? And then all of a sudden, one episode where it's plot relevant. They show how clever Dexter is and he can cover up his footprints. And I'm like, but he hasn't been doing that the rest of the show. So you guys fucking knew. <laughs> you just let it happen. <laughs> so that was an issue. And there was like, like, I don't know. There's a, a moment where people are going to figure out who Dexter is. And it's like one of the characters is like, oh, yeah, he, there's that guy from Miami. Oh, and he had a kid, too. What was the kid's name? And it's like, come on. The cops don't get together at cop conventions and talk about the names of the kids of their former colleagues. That's not how that works. <laughs> I like know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've never been a cop, so maybe they do. If so, they need better hobbies. But still, like that having been said, like Clancy Brown's in it, so naturally he's like you can't have him in it if he's not going to be a serial killer if having him in a a season of Dexter. So it's like not exactly a surprise when that reveal comes, but he's great. So who cares that it's not a surprise? As soon as uh, that guy showed up in a ski mask, I was like, Oh, that's Clancy Brown. Yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) unless it's your first, like if, if for somehow you haven't watched Dexter before, (laughs) <laughs> then you're just starting on season nine, then you might not figure it out right away. But if you know what you're yeah. getting into, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, Clancy Brown um, didn't sign on to this show to be a background character. Yeah. Um, I really liked the interactions between Dexter and uh, Harrison. I thought it played really well. I thought the fact that Dexter effectively is still confused by the fact that he actually cares about his own son. It doesn't seem to like it's the idea that he somehow convinces himself that he's like, oh, no, I've been doing this to help people at one point in the show. And then he's like, no, 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 you're not like nobody thinks that you're just a monster. (laughs) (laughs) And it's but, you know, and there's the whole angle of him like 
trying to convince Harrison to join in with him. I really like that. That idea that he's like the emperor trying to convince Luke to come over to the dark side. That whole thing was fun. Yeah, there, there's a lot to really like about the show. Um, then there's also moments where like Dexter leaves a blood trail that leads back to his cottage. So he covers the blood with snow. And somehow the dozens of police officers that are on scene, none of them notice him covering this trail of blood with snow or think to check underneath where he just piled snow for no reason. And you're like, that's that's pretty weak. I think I should have done better than that. To be fair, they're small town cops that deal with murders a lot. But like you're at it all gathering for a search site and this guy's like, gang, on one sec, I just got to go over here and <laughs> scoop this snow over this little piece of blood that's on the ground here in case so you guys don't see it. And they're like, all right. It's pretty nitpicky, though. I mean, it's again, like overall, the stuff with Harrison was good. Deb as the new dark passenger was good. Um, I liked that the way they portrayed her as the dark passenger because it was like they made it pretty clear that like okay she's acting like Deb but then she kind of is clearly Dexter as well like like it's it's a figment of his imagination that's what we're seeing and I really like that idea the way they played it out because she would kind of like she would speak to him the way he, in, in her tone of voice, but saying things that he would want to hear kind of thing. And I, I thought they did that really well. So. Yeah. I um, thought as soon as they announced she was coming on the show, I'm like, Oh, she's going to be the new Harry. And yeah, turns I mean, out it's exactly right. pretty obvious. Right. Yeah. Um, now I guess the question then is, do we expect the possibility of more? Because, I mean, they kind of set it up the possibility that now Harrison is running off and he's sort of got this dark passenger element to him. Now Dexter's gotten into his head. Do we think think, there's a possibility of a season where he's the the lead? I think I heard from the showrunner that they've set it up that if Showtime was like, hey, we really like that, we'd like to keep it going, that they would be able to. But also that if they didn't do another season... Is a good way to just sort of cap everything off. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how they did it. They didn't, there aren't really cliffhangers. I mean, there kind of are in the sense that there's the kid just drives off. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. where did he go and how come no one chases him down kind of thing? Heavily implied that it's over. Um, we just don't know the rest of his story, but it was never really his story. It was always Dexter's story. So. I guess we should have said spoiler alerts before like, we start talking about how Dexter's story is over, because uh, we, we may have implied something there, but um, yeah, I mean... It's been long enough. Yeah. And, and, and I, I do think they did a good job of, you know, yes, we could, we could have a whole season now where Harrison is a killer and Dexter is his dark passenger, or we could just end it, or we could yeah. 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 They got so, multiple avenues. They can go in. I'm, like I'm content. If it's over, I'm content, a lot more content with this ending than I was with the previous one. It feels like they at least tried to tie up some of the loose ends this time and not just bullshit their way through to an ending. That's very true. Um, Did you ever read any of the books? I read the first book. I read the first Didn't, four, maybe. 
Okay. But I mean, I listened to him on audiobook. I was really disappointed that they yeah. didn't come up with the idea of maybe we should get Michael C. Hall to do the audiobooks because that would have made them way better. Yeah, but audiobooks weren't that much of a thing back then. Like they um, existed, but yeah. they weren't they weren't a way for actors to make money at that point, really. Uh, just since he does the voiceovers of Dexter's on the show, it's like, oh, all this stuff yeah. played so much better. Uh, oh, so it after, been perfect, yeah. After the first book, they the show and the books diverge pretty heavily. Yeah. They've way going way different directions. Yeah, I've heard that, and it's made me think, like, maybe I should read the books, but I didn't, so. That's what I'm curious. I'm thinking about, since I never got through the whole series of going back and starting over again, just uh yeah so since i got this taste of dexter and now it's gone again already well that's yeah that's the problem with these like limited run series is it's like you know we used to get a season of dexter constantly for like whatever it was eight years mm-hmm. and most of them were very good you know just not the end ones <laughs> you were rewatching them noah how far did you get uh, season four. I think before I got distracted and did something else, John Lithgow season. Mm-hmm. No, so maybe season oh. three before I got season distracted. three. Do you stop yeah. before the best season? Yeah, season four is still like now that we've seen nine, and I think I can openly say it. Um, it is it, it, head and shoulders the best. It's just uh, I I don't. There's no comparison. What else did you watch? Uh, oh, the one you're waiting for, Brian. Apparently, according to your comments on Instagram, <laughs> I watched uh, the Final Terror. Oh, which is uh, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this movie is about uh, a group of young people. I think they're forest strangers. It doesn't really matter who they are, um, and they go into the woods. But it's the '80s. Do you want to guess what happens when they go into the woods? <laughs> Someone starts hunting them down and killing them one by one? That's correct. Oh, okay. And, and guess what? They think it's one of the guys that's doing it. But there might also be somebody else doing it. Ooh. I know. I know. It's shocking. I, it's a major plot twist. Um, <laughs> you know who they think is doing it? Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> oh, not Joey Pants. Dude, I'm like, I'm watching this movie from 1983. So there's Joey Pants. Daryl Hannah's in this fucking thing. Mark Metcalf shows up as like, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he played the master on Buffy. So it's like a really recognizable face to me. I'm like, what is going on in this? Like this movie that was made for $7. How are there three actors in it that I know? (laughs) I'm like caught completely off guard by that. Um, the movie itself, it's fine. It's an 80s slasher. You you either like him or you don't. I don't know what else to tell you. It's not one of the like utterly terrible cash-in ones. It's not one of the really good, like, like you know, when we talked about The Burning and we're like, it's like an actually like a really good movie. It's not one of those. It's just one of the ones where a bunch of kids go in the woods and they get uh, chopped up. The difference with this one being that because they are like forest rangers, they have some equipment with them. And they can set up some traps at the end to catch the bad Ooh. guy, which is fun. Yeah. So, and I won't spoil it because I know you haven't seen it, Brian, but the, the final, like, big trap is it's pretty fun to watch. 
Nice. So, yeah. This is one of those, like, I bought, I bought a bunch of stuff in, like, a Scream Factory sale. And it's like, well, $5 away from 50 And if I don't buy $50 worth, I have to pay for shipping. So I might as well buy this $7 Blu-ray, because this sounds kind of okay. Yeah. I, I just haven't watched it yet. Well, did you notice my second Instagram post, which is about this movie? Because no. when I when I started it, I watched it through Tubi, but like Scream Factory puts their movies up on Tubi sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's like an actual warning before you watch it that it says oh, uh, yeah. all of the all of the negatives and interpositives, which I don't even know what that is, were mm-hmm. all destroyed. So Scream Factory got six prints from collectors and just tried to put together the best quality of the movie they could. <laughs> And I'm like, that's hilarious. How does it look? It it really doesn't affect the film. Like I didn't notice it being of worse quality than other movies that I watch on Tubi from 1983 that were made on a low budget. Like looked fine. Yeah, so some, sometimes the low quality actually helps. I agree. So, I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Blu-ray 4k or whatever. There's just some of these movies that you should be watching on a fuzzy VHS on a 13-inch TV screen. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. It's just they were made to be viewed that way. That it's yeah. You know, sometimes, and and I'm not saying this about this movie, but in a lot of cases, it's like these effects don't hold up if you watch them in 4K because nobody ever thought you were going to be seeing them in 4K. Nobody knew that, so. They made them in a way that would look absolutely fine on a VHS tape. Maybe a little bit weaker on a Betamax because it's technically higher quality. But <laughs> yeah, well, I have to put it on my to watch list then. Some point when I'm in the mood for yeah. a slasher, I haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, sometimes again, I get it's... that way, and I just start looking through like Tubi, look through Amazon Prime. I'm just like, where can I find mm-hmm. some weird? slasher movie i've never seen before it's hard to find them now it's hard yeah like the problem is i've done that so many times that i'm running out of ones i haven't seen i didn't know this was a slasher until i like clicked on it and i'm like oh young people go in the woods i don't even need to read the rest of this description of it but based on the poster art i thought it was like some kind of an apocalyptic type movie because i don't know it's what it seemed like to me and that's how i judge movies is by poster art still because the hell with it. I'm not changing my ways now. <laughs> Gone too far. What else you got? Uh, that is it for me, other than Batman, which I guess we're going to do a spoilery discussion to end the show. Is that the plan? Well, that's not true. You watched Spider Man too. Yes, I did watch Spider Man. <laughs> you took your kids there. For, so, for a so third, a third you, time, I watched Spider Man Far From Home. But the fun thing is you were excited to see how he was going to react when all the Spider-Men showed up. So how did it go? Okay, so first of all, as we're getting ready to leave the house, the kid says, Dad, I already know what this movie's about. I already know Doc Ock's in it because I saw a trailer. And I'm like, that's awesome because I got so excited. I'm like, but that's what he thinks is coming. (laughs) And then like the scene on the bridge happens and the the pumpkin bomb was rolling up and he's like is green goblin in this too and i'm like Shh, you're in a movie theater like quiet so he's getting all excited but you know what i didn't think about was 
the fact that he was utterly devastated when Aunt May dies. And mm. I think it spoiled the fun of the reveal of the other Spider-Man for him because he was not uh-huh. over it yet. Because it was like, uh-huh. like when you go to, like we were sitting in like recliner seats because like mm-hmm. most theaters are only that now. So for like him, it's like, for me, it's a nice comfy seat for him. It's like he can lay down, he can move around. So he's like sitting as far away from me as he can. He's got his popcorn. He's making friends with the kid next to him. And then like during that fight between Goblin and Spider-Man, he's like inches over closer to me because that's a pretty intense fight. <laughs> and like when Aunt May died, he like cuddled up like he was really sad. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't think about that. <laughs> this would have been then, a good time for a bathroom break. And I forgot. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm like, like, I'm all excited because she's saying with great power must come great responsibility. <laughs> then you yank him out of the theater. Like, come on, we got to go to the bathroom. He's like, he was, well, I didn't because I mean, fun side note, when the movie ended, he totally had to go to the washroom and he's like, but I couldn't leave the movie dad. I'm like, I understand. I get it. <laughs> he wouldn't even stay for the post credits though. Oh, wow. I'm like, um, but it was like, yeah. So when the Spider-Man got revealed, there wasn't that big excitement that I expected because I just think he was still sad. That's a bummer. And then with the best part of the whole experience was with everything that went on, like you guys have seen the movie, you know how complicated the plot is magic and interdimensional travel and all this. And we're getting in the car and he goes, dad, I have one question about that movie. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, why did happy get arrested? <laughs> I don't I'm like because he was stopping the police from getting to Spider-Man when they were trying to arrest him he's like oh you're not allowed to do that I'm like what are you a sovereign citizen no you're not allowed to do that (laughs) so overall a very fun experience and I've now proved that my kid can sit still for two hours and 45 minutes in a row which I did not think was humanly possible (laughs) so well, once it comes out on digital, you'll be able to watch it again and maybe he'll get more excited yeah, and yeah. just fast forward through the MA stuff. Maybe. That's yeah, I, I, I didn't anticipate how sad that scene is. I guess I just hard to imagine how a child's going to react to stuff, right? Yeah. They're going to be sad when somebody dies. Oh, shit. <laughs> Weird. Dad's got a whole other list of movies that you can no longer watch because that's pretty much what they're about. It's most of Dad's movie collection was all just people being killed. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, let's see. Did I talk about Devil's Backbone last week? I don't know. You can talk about it again if you want. Doesn't no. matter. The movie's uh, awesome. I had to rewatch that for an article that I wrote. And uh, still beautiful, still gorgeous. Yeah. Still, I think one of. Del Toro's best creatures. Yeah. Flash ghost. Just that image of the blood yeah. flowing I, up is amazing. So, yeah. Even that blood for, trickling upwards just is stuck in my head from when it happened. I, yeah. Whenever, whenever the movie was new kind of thing. Cause I was doing research for it. And I mean, this movie came out in 2001 and was made for like four and a half million dollars. Do you know what else came out yeah. in 2001? Lord of the Rings came out in 2001. Yeah. The Devil's Backbone was made for like 5% of its budget. And I feel like the effects in it hold up a little bit better than Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings was just still pretty yeah, amazing. The, but man, this looks but the, still looks amazing. The effects have faded a little bit. The, the CGI in Lord of the Rings is not as good as it used to be. Mm. So. Yeah. 
this still looks amazing. So I don't know how they pulled it off, but it was uh, uh, it was fantastic. So if you haven't watched Devil's Backbone in a while, you should uh, check it out. Yeah, that should be on our that should be on our list. I don't know why it's not on our list. Well, it's two thousand one. I mean, we can just get rid of that rule. We can just put whatever we want. We can talk about whatever we, can, we want anyway. We can. We, we can do whatever I say is okay. Let's, let's make that the rule <laughs> instead of all this other debate. Uh, I'm sure Noah's down with that. It's, maybe. I don't see. I don't see how he could possibly complain. Uh, the only other thing I watched was the King's Man, which is the Kingsman prequel. Oh yeah. I'm a big yeah. fan of the Kingsman movies, so I was kind of interested in this one. I'm like, oh, this takes place during World War One. That's kind of fun. Uh, the movie's okay. I feel like the first hour of it is just getting the setup for them to get to World War One. I'm just like, Jesus, oh, really? just get there already. There's just lots of hemming and hawing about stuff, and you finally start going. And it just feels like it takes forever. But then the World War One stuff is fun, and then. Um, get uh, battles with Rasputin and all kinds of uh, fun stuff, but I don't know. I didn't like it nearly as much as the uh, the other ones. I don't know if it's like a um, the more modern stuff is just more fun or what it was, but I don't know. I think I heard that the uh, third one has started production, so they're going to go back okay. to that storyline. So yeah. either way, it wasn't the worst, but not as fun as the other two. Just kind of bummed me out because I like uh, Ray Fiennes, so I figured he was going to be pretty good. He was pretty good, but everything else around it was kind of only okay. <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Um, all right, Doug, what are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? That's my decision, isn't it? <laughs> I I am going to say that all that RoboCop talk from earlier that I don't know if that's part of the show or if it was before the show. But it got me excited for some more uh, Beerhoven. So next week we will do the Fourth Man and Flesh and Blood. Oh, okay. And I have not checked if those are easy to find or not. So we'll see how that goes. Trying to track those movies down to watch them. But <laughs> I was gonna say I put those two on the list, so probably not. <laughs> let's do let's do a quick check right now. The fourth man. Oh, fourth man doesn't even show up on Just Watch. Look, uh, looks like Flesh and Blood might be on Tubi, which is convenient. Yes, looks like it is on Tubi as well. So the fourth man is so, the one we got to figure out, huh? Yeah, I feel like we can do it. This is this is definitely what this our show definitely wanted. Uh, looks like it is in full on YouTube, so I will save oh, it to the. Shows watch later. Don't know if it's in the correct language or not, but that's half the fun. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Oh, yeah. So Verhoeven stuff next week. Yeah, I've never seen either of these, so I don't know what we're getting into, but these are the the movies that kind of got him the reputation that earned him movies like RoboCop. So Mm. uh, that's all I know about them. I have no idea what the plots are or if you watch, uh, the movies that made us movies that made me, whatever it is on yeah. Netflix, do an episode on RoboCop. Yeah. And they talk about Verhoeven working on one of these movies and how horrible it did. Yeah. But he still but somehow I mean, got the RoboCop job. 
But they all, if I remember correctly, it's not, oh, the movie sucks. It's, oh, the box office was terrible, which, yeah. whatever. Box office is the worst measure of quality in movie history because terrible movies do well and good movies just get missed, especially back in the 80s. Like, Oh, yeah. Somehow The Thing was not a popular movie. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't at all. Uh, so the big thing we could talk about, we all three went and saw The Batman this weekend. Or Doug's case on the weekend. Or Doug's case. <laughs> Doug's case got home ten minutes before we started the show. A darker, grittier Batman. So we're gonna be doing a spoiler discussion about that. You've been warned. Spoilers from here forward. Um so early early in his career, Batman faces off a Zodiac Killer esque Riddler, which is what I've been wanting forever. Finally got. Um, well, they did. Oh, sorry. Jesus. They did. They did something in this movie that I think everybody's been asking for for a really long time, and that's doing a detective Batman story yep, instead of yeah. a, a nonstop parade of gadgets Batman story or a uh, kung fu <laughs> beat the shit out of people Batman story. There's plenty of beating the shit out of people in this story, though. Yeah, but it's not overdone. It's more of a brawler, Batman, than a, uh, like, you know, yeah. Bruce Wayne goes off to the League of Shadows to learn how to fight mystical arts and whatever else. This, this Batman watched the Netflix Daredevil series and was like, oh, that's how you punch people? Okay, check. Done and done. Well, and I yeah. love the fact that uh, the the Batman is actually like an extension of Bruce Wayne's trauma in this, which I don't think yeah. they've ever bothered to actually explore in any of the other fucking <laughs> Batman movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They borrowed a lot of stuff from the uh, earth one series that Jeff Johns did. So all the stuff of like Alfred was actually Thomas Wayne's like head of security rather than a butler stuff. Uh, the Martha Arkham stuff and then the serial killer Riddler all kind of comes from his, his uh, Jeff Johns Earth One series, which is like another alternate Earth reboot of Batman just to tell the origin story in a different way. Yeah. So, Doug, since you just got home from Cena, what did you think of it? Um, I like obviously liked it. My like my immediate response is we finally got what they promised us in 1989, which is like a grittier comic book movie, right? Because 89, like that whole series of films, are effectively cartoons, right? Yeah, and they pretended that by putting him in a black suit that they were making it more serious, but not really. There's nothing serious about that 1989 movie. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing it. It's just, we were promised dark and gritty and we did not get it. Yeah. Kevin Smith has talked a lot about that. I mean, it was dark and gritty by comparison that before that, all you had was the 66 TV show. Exactly. So then when they went and saw it, they're like, this is the fucking metal Batman. And then you got to the yeah. Nolan movies and they're like, oh shit, that shit was fucking cartoons. Yeah. This is, this is the real Batman. And now even compared the to the, the Nolan, Nolan stuff, it's like, 
Now even compared to the yeah. Nolan stuff, this one's like, no, this is the real Batman. Well, because well, the Nolan yeah. stuff is like real this world, Batman right? you could it's... see going up against like a calendar man or a Zaz or one of yeah. those characters, which yeah. I don't think could have fit into any of the other ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got like a, a comic book Batman that's dark and gritty right now, which is we've never had that before. This is Christian Bale Batman was the closest thing to a real world Batman you could possibly have. And then I guess technically there's a Zack Snyder Batman, but it's just a failed attempt at doing this. Well, I Um, always, me and Amanda were talking about in the car on the way home. And I feel like the Ben, the Batfleck is the justice league Batman, which was always a little different because he had to sort of, he had to sort of fit him in with all of the justice league cosmic stuff. Like you had to deal with the fact there are aliens and everything else. And so the dark and gritty stuff doesn't work as well for the justice league stuff. Unless it's like a Batman centric story, but, but they still tried to make him dark and gritty. Sure. Anyways, anyway, anyways, that's another thing that this movie does really well is we walk into an established Batman. Like he's still early in his career. I think they say two years he's been yeah. Batman, but we don't go through him meeting commissioner Gordon and all this stuff. Like he exists in this world and they set it up really well. And this idea that like he's still learning, but he, everyone knows there's a Batman and he's, you know, the bat signals already there and everything's all set up and ready to go. I think all works really well. That's, and that's the stuff that I really liked that ended up kind of turning by the end when they point out that maybe his crusade of vengeance is not the right way to go. But well, I, I loved, yeah. I loved the stuff where the entire city knows there's a Batman thugs and thieves and stuff are terrified of them. And they actually show yeah. that fear. They play it up. And when he shows up, he just strolls out of the darkness with those heavy footsteps and everybody's like shitting yeah. their pants. Like, Oh yeah. fuck. And then he just beats the fuck out of it. Yeah, I, and that's, I guess that's if we get into like what I, is my favorite thing about this movie is like, it's very hopeful at the end. And I definitely, for me, like I kind of like the version of Batman that is being chased by the cops. And maybe there's a couple oh, yeah, that yeah. know are working with him and stuff. This version of Batman that is intermingling with the police force all the time. And everyone just kind of knows he's there and they're like, uh, sure, he's part of it now, I guess, you know. Yeah. And at the very at the very end of this, he's like working with first responders to save people after a flood, and it's like, I get it. I like the and the message is a good one that he has to learn to go from being a source of vengeance to a, a source of justice and a, more a symbol of hope, which has always kind of been Batman's arc, but it's sort of weird to see him like literally loading people into like onto like gurneys and then like getting wheeled away by (laughs) paramedics and shit. And it's like, okay, I guess like it feels like it's hard, hard to do that and then have him still maintain a secret identity. Cause it's like, how did, how do they not just follow him home after? (laughs) I suppose. I don't, I don't know. I just, I kind of, I actually kind of liked that messaging at the end. It's a good message. It's a positive message. Well, and it it combined with the fact that they 
they kind of dealt with an interesting a few things that are like zeitgeisty type of things. So the worship of overly violent uh, comic book characters, you know, but we, we've seen that with uh, douchebags adopting like the Punisher symbol and all that kind of stuff as a symbol of, yeah. I, I don't know, a pro cop murder, which is a pretty fucking, that's a pretty weird stance to take of, of, being pro cops murdering people, but uh, that's the world we live in. And then you've got mm-hmm. that uh, secondary theme, which kind of doesn't show up until the end of, yeah, kind of everybody roots for these conspiracies and stuff until it ends with a bunch of crazy people in mass turning into homegrown yeah. terrorists and killing people. Mm. And they combined that with the the long-running theme in Batman comics of the problem with Batman is that, sure, Batman solves problems, and then he creates 20 more supervillains while he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, The whole angle of, like, the Riddler thinking they're on a team. (laughs) Yeah, that they're best friends. What What a great twist that was. Oh, my God. Yeah, I loved it. I loved that whole thing, because, I mean, it's... It, it first of all it plays perfectly into Batman's story arc and his character arc and like the Selena Kyle story also really helped with that so it all worked together really well but the idea that the Riddler is like he thinks he's doing the same thing as Batman and meanwhile he's murdering tons of people <laughs> and thinking being a being a serial killer and being Batman is the same thing is pretty out there <laughs> and it's also like not crazy because like if if people mugging on the streets deserve to get punched then what do people who are stealing millions of dollars from foundations set up to revive the city deserve you know the the argument exists that he's just doing what batman does almost on a bigger scale the escalation keeps getting higher and higher and higher yep paul dano is pretty fantastic as the riddler yeah, like that scene where he's when, put it, he's put it together. He's saying, "No, we're a team," and then Batman's like, "We're not a team," and he just has that like mental breakdown where everything he thought mm-hmm. he was working with just completely evaporates, and he's just like, "Oh no, 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 no!" and starts like freaking out and stuff. Like that was fantastic. Yeah, I. I was like 50 50 on him behind the mask. Like it, I liked mm. the kind of character design and stuff, but the performance isn't spectacular per se. But yeah. once he takes the mask off, that's when he's fucking just nailing that role. And you're like, okay, I get why he's here now. And the fact that he kind of looks weird, but also somewhat innocent when they have him out of that mask, you're just like, that's the guy. That's the guy who murdered the mayor. Like the, you know, like the most powerful person in the city got killed by this particular accountant. That's weird. Never know what secrets people keep, Doug. That's why um, I'm working from home now. I don't like being around all those accountants. So. <laughs> I think this might have been my favorite version of Gotham. Like whenever I read Batman stuff, like this is how I pictured Gotham. Just like part that like grimy New York that I always like in movies. And also just yeah. sort of a hodgepodge of like shit just thrown together. Well it it feels like in most of the other movies, the problem with Gotham is they only portrayed it as shitty 
And you're like, well, there's all these rich people in those movies sort of by design. Where do they all live? Like they must have a part of Gotham too. And I feel like this movie kind of nailed it a little better with the idea that there is this intermingling in every big city, right? There is the poor living and then there is the rich people up in their ivory towers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of Wayne uh, Wayne Tower being like in the middle of town? I thought that made yeah. like a lot more sense when it came to having <laughs> it, the Bat Cave underneath it. Yeah, I was gonna say that uh, it's the big difference. There's no Wayne Manor. It's more of a there's Wayne Tower, which has a big penthouse at the top or on the side, or you know, it was in a weird position, but where they live and stuff. Um. I think I think the subway stuff is from another might also be from the Earth One series. Um okay. there's some other story where he, he doesn't have a cave, he has like an abandoned subway station and stuff. So I feel like that works pretty well. I mean you just go into I the subway station and go up to the house. I don't know you guys' opinion, but I think uh best Batmobile. It is pretty rad. Um yeah, I don't I don't like getting into the best discussion because it's it suited this version of Batman really well, though, because, again, like if this is a gritty comic book movie like that. Batman 89, he didn't build that himself in the Batcave like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Whereas I feel like this is like, yeah, if you knew what you're doing with cars, you yeah, zip, zip could up turn, a muscle car, put a big ass engine yeah. on it. Yeah, the wings were like not cartoonish bat wings they were something that you could add to a vehicle so yeah like it it suited this version of batman perfectly i thought everything worked really well together his whole suit and everything looked like something that batman and alfred could have made themselves and all the weapons felt that way they weren't over the top so it all made sense in that way yeah, I once again, I really like the restraint that they showed in his weaponry and the gadgets and stuff. Yeah. Sort, of, sort of the biggest thing he uses is like a grapple gun. That's like the most questionable gadget that he has. Yeah, his grappling gun. And then he's got his uh, battering chest piece, but he never like uses it as a magical fucking ninja star or something. <laughs> he mostly just uses it as a knife one one or two times, you know. Yeah, I didn't even realize it came off the suit like that until towards the end of the movie. Yeah, no, he doesn't use it until about then. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't use it till he cuts his way into that uh, crime scene. Yeah, we should talk about the penguin makeup because we've talked about before that he does kind of. Like really, Richard, he kind of looks like Richard Kind, and they could have saved a bunch of money by just hiring Richard Kind to play that role. I'd really, I'd but, really like to know if they reshot a bunch of penguin stuff. I don't know because there, whenever they first started shooting the movie, there were pictures of him like in like a gray trench coat, looking more like uh, Emperor Penguin. Oh, I have no idea, and I don't know if that was just to throw people off or if they shot it one way and they were like no this is this is gritty we want uh acne scarred uh fuck face penguin don't know uh, uh, i really like what we got let's say the makeup is really phenomenal like sometimes yeah. with that heavy makeup where you're turning somebody who's in shape into more of like a heavy set person the makeup can just look kind of not good 
but I thought it looked amazing. It looked like real skin. Like, I don't know what, what they did and how they put it together, but it was amazing. I kept forgetting that it was Colin Farrell. Yeah. He's, he sank into that role. Yeah. And I think they did a good job with his character too, of having him like, he was just this sleazy scumbag and you could tell he was kind of sick of getting pushed around. And then it obviously ends with, you know, okay, there's a power vacuum at the top and we've set this guy up and he's going to want to come in and take over. Yeah. And like, I thought that worked really well because you kind of want that. You, it, first of all, it plays up that same angle as with the Riddler of like Batman creating worse villains by taking out the existing criminals. And then also it plays into, you want to have known villains kind of, coming up along with the uh yeah with the story so you have them to fight in the future because i'm hoping that's the other thing i'm really hopeful for is like it's matt reeves who directed this and it's like i remember thinking back to like those planet of the apes movies and it's like yeah they were like the first one was okay but it's so much better in the context of the trilogy and i feel like we're gonna get the same sort of thing here whereas as we build batman out and as we he fights more villains and we have these ex- more stories that it's all going to be, you, you'll be able to come back to this and it'll be even better. Well, the interesting thing is they're doing a little bit of a Marvel thing with this. Cause there mm-hmm. was a, there was a planned GCPD spinoff for HBO max and the penguin was supposed to be part of it. Mm-hmm. We've been reading over the couple of days. It's actually morphed and now it's going to be, an Arkham show that's more of like a horror series. So something to do with Arkham with the inmates and stuff. I don't know the exact plan or see, plot, I could, but I could see them using that as a way to sort of build up the villains and then you switch them out into the movies. Sure. So you sure. sort of have, you kind of like if you're, if you're just watching the movies, you're just going to see this new villain, but you're going to kind of get their origin story through the show. So we don't do that in the, in the movies, yeah. which would be kind of I'm a neat totally. way to do it. Yeah. And I think Reeves is still involved. I don't, I don't know how involved he's being, but I think they're trying I don't know to either, like, but I think they're trying to like, you know, keep all of this in order so it doesn't get out of hand before, you know, even the second movie comes out. Well, and like, hopefully they are being smarter with it. That's all I can do. It's hopefully they'll be smarter than they have been with all their other DC shit. Cause mm. Well, it's, this is fucking Batman. Don't. It's so funny after years and years and years of everybody beating him up because of them trying to do their, you know, DCU thing that just hasn't fucking yeah. had any footing or worked. Finally, they were like, well, fuck it. Now we're just going to break them off and we'll make them solo things. And then they, you know, make a good one. And then it's like, aha, <laughs> you guys broke it off and did its own thing. And now it can't play with your other shitty ones. <laughs> yeah. But I've been saying for a long time, like, I don't think I don't, I think audience are smart enough that you could have a Batman universe and you could still do your DCEU and have a different Batman running around in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's that complicated. I think people would understand like Robert Pattinson is not Ben Affleck. I think you can put those two side by side and they look different enough that it's fine. Right. Yeah. You just get those trolls that are like, whatever, it's not fucking Marvel. So then they got to shit on everything that DC does. But like, I, I was thinking about that again with like, with watching Spider-Man. So I think Marvel has set themselves up to have two Spider-Men running around at once. I think you can, you could literally like, they've set themselves up to literally have, 
Tom, like uh, Tom Hardy's Venom fighting Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man or whoever else. And then Tom Holland fights a whole different Venom. And they, those two movies could come out in the same year. And I think audiences would go, yeah, that makes sense. There's two different universes. No problem. And I, I, yeah. I think DC could do the same thing. I don't see it as that big of a deal. Yeah. I agree. We were talking about normies, though. So I don't know. Well, normies are problematic, but what are you going to do, man? <laughs> they're still, they're like, I don't know. They are problematic. There was an old guy who just was sitting across the aisle from me who decided the middle of a big scene that he needed to check Facebook on his phone. God. And so his phone lit up and he wasn't like directly across. He was more like catty corner. So of course, like that's all I see in my periphery is his phone lighting up. You don't know how hard I was to restrain myself from just turning the flashlight on my phone and going over and just shining it on his phone and being like, looks like you need help. Do you need help looking at your phone in the middle of the movie? But then I determined that would be a bigger distraction. So I should just not do that. But then as I sort of, uh... as I settled into that decision, he, I watched him open a video on Facebook and it started playing very loudly to which then he shut the screen of his phone off, but the audio kept playing and then he fumbled with it. And his final solution was, I'm just going to push the phone into my stomach and hope that that will shut it off, which it did not. And I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ. So then I missed whatever they were talking about. Guess it wasn't too important, but still fuck Fucking people who take their phones out in movie theaters. I just, I don't. Nope. I don't get it. Like there've been a lot of changes. There've been a lot of changes in our society over the years that have been difficult to adjust to. If the norm ever becomes that you're just allowed to take your phone out in the movie theater. I think that's it. I'm done. I just, (laughs) I stop leaving the house. Just only movies from home from now on. No, anything from home, work from home, get groceries (laughs) delivered. That's it. I won't be going out in public anymore if that becomes the norm. I won't be able to do it. I, will, I would be other places and I would feel urged to drive over to the theater and slap phones out of people's hands. So. <laughs> I'll send you a text message next time. Oh, shit, but that means I'll take my phone out. Yeah. Oh, damn it. I'll, I'll tell you guys one thing. So the opening of the movie threw me a little bit. I thought for a moment that this was going to be a straight up like horror movie Batman which I was kind of excited for. And then that ended up not being what it was. <laughs> I'd be on board for that. Cause that, that opening scene of uh Riddler beating that dude together with the uh, beating that dude to death with the carpet tool. It's yep. like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty jarring to watch that dude sort of looking through the window and then the dude's on his phone He's just standing there watching TV and you're like, okay. And then he steps off to the side and the fucking Riddler's just in the room. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. It was it was weird to have the those scenes and then have the juxtaposition of now Batman's just like walking around with the cops and like chatting with people. <laughs> like, all right, we're in a we're in a comic book universe. We know that we've established that. To be fair, most of the cops didn't like him being there and they complained about it the entire time. Yeah. So, but it was kind of funny because he was just still there, <laughs> and he didn't like he like he walked in through the door with people, and at one point, like he's handling something, and Gordon's like, "What? He's wearing gloves?" Like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> noticing shit that nobody else has noticed, and they run over and take pictures of it mm-hmm. in the Nolan movies. But 
not like it was in this movie. No, I so. think he does work best when he's kind of at odds with the police force. Uh, he did get kind of chummy with some of, some of them by the end, but I feel like he's still kind of not really on the same level. Like Gordon's the only one he trusts, which is, I think is the way it always plays better. Yeah. Like the idea that he has a relationship with Gordon, but that other cops might still be hunting him and treating him as a vigilante, I think is the way to go. But this movie set it up really well so that everything is kind of a lot more gray than it is in most comic book universes. And, you know, like obviously having Selena Kyle, she's like the grayest character in history. Like, (laughs) you know, like nobody knows if she's a good guy or a bad guy from scene to scene. And that worked really well in this movie. And, uh, you know, obviously she'll be back if there's more because they kind of set it up that way. Which apparently is coming out today that she auditioned for dark Knight rises and got rejected. And got rejected and was told that she was too, quote unquote, urban for the role. All right. Well, it's like, Jesus Christ. Anyways, I, how how is she old enough to have dark, uh, been in the Dark Knight Rises as in that role? I don't know, because she's uh, Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet's how, daughter so that she doesn't age at all. Like, how old is she? Do we know? How old's Pattinson? I, maybe I don't know anything. I liked them together. I thought they, they, their interactions worked together. I thought they were super cute at the end when they were both riding off on their motorcycles together and then they go in opposite directions. <laughs> well, that's what I was sitting there. I'm just like, they're, okay. They're doing their when, little when, motorbike flirting. When are they going to, when are they going to split off? It's going to happen here. Yeah. I was going to say, so one complaint, same complaint. We've had a lot lately on the show, three hour movie. And there's some shit that could go. What would you uh, well, that stupid ass fucking riding their motorcycles off together was fucking dumb. <laughs> it was dumb and it was drawn out. It's like a, a minute. It's like a minute. It's not going to change. Three, the once again, would you have a three and hour I, minute? I, you could a uh, three hour movie. You could slice a minute, slice that minute. Get rid of that. I, <laughs> I have. I enjoyed that scene. I thought I thought it was like. It's like, have you ever like seen teenagers try to flirt and they don't really know how to do it? And it's kind of cute to watch. That's what that was, watching them ride their motorcycles alongside each other and kind of like one passes the other and then the other one passes. I'm like, I enjoyed it. So uh, Zoe I don't want Kravitz, them to cut that. Year. Zoe Kravitz is 33 and Pattinson is 35. So whatever that means. And Dark Knight Rises was 10 years ago. She would have been like 23. Yeah. Still would have worked. I feel like she would have been too young for that role at 23. Maybe. Her her waist in this movie is inhumanly skinny. <laughs> I don't know what workout <laughs> routine they had her on or what, but like it, there's a couple scenes where she's actually wearing something a little snug and you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like she ceases to exist in the middle. <laughs> so I actually thought her ski mask was stupid yeah the weird thing well, is, I, like when, I, like I, did, I didn't mind the idea but the weird thing that just goes across her nose i'm like that's kind of dumb looking like i don't mind the idea of having having something where like the, the little points come out and they kind of look like cat ears I, I just figured like in a future movie she'll have a full cat thing they may, they'll so? make a joke about how when she saw batman and his that she went and made her own think there'd be lots of jokes in the next movie no 
That was a couple in the there's a couple of jokes in this one, I thought. I did like the moment when uh, Batman did his disappear thing. And Gordon was just, he had, like, I think every Batman movie has had it, or every series has had that moment where, like, he disappears and Gordon's just like, damn it, where'd he, like, <laughs> he's just gone? Uh, I completely forgot that John Turturro was in this movie. I had no idea, because I stopped, like, once I saw that first trailer and was like, okay, they haven't totally ruined it. I had learned nothing else, so I had no idea he was in it. I was so happy when he showed up. Yeah, and he was really good. Yep. Oh, I ended up being really happy that it was him. Could have gone either way. Sometimes he can go a little too over the top. Um, but I feel like he played it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody was good. Everybody that had a speaking part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't really have... I don't think it was any... Like bad casting or bad performances. Yeah. You liked uh, Commissioner Gordon? Yeah, Jeffrey Wright was good as Commissioner Gordon. Um, yeah, I wasn't Jeffrey a huge. Good and everything. That, that is also a true statement. I was not a huge fan of uh, Bruce Wayne, I guess. The Batman stuff was good. Uh, the Bruce Wayne stuff, I was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. But after I, talking with people about the movie and stuff, have kind of pointed out that it's like, well, I mean, he was resisting all that stuff. He was pushing the Bruce Wayne persona away. And the end of the movie makes him realize that he needs the Bruce Wayne part of himself. Like, okay, I guess I still feel like he's just kind of emo and mopey. Well, it was, and it was one pushing, step away from dancing emo. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I, I just think they were leaning really hard on the idea of he is uh, mentally ill. Yeah. And so he's kind of reclusive and obsessive. And well, everybody in this movie is mentally ill. It's just how it is. It's that. But we also learned his mother was very mentally ill. Was in an asylum yeah. multiple runs times. The, runs it. It's genetic. Yeah. So maybe it explains why her <laughs> son dresses component. up like a bat and just runs around town at night. Yeah. Well, also like she witnessed her parents dying at a young age, and he did too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah did we did we mention Joker? Joker shows. Uh, no, we didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too excited about that. I didn't love the portrayal. I get that it has to be very different from the last few portrayals of Joker because it has to be this gritty comic book version. But I was going to say, plus, if it's anything remotely like the Jared Leto Joker, then we'll burn no, nobody wants that down. Nobody wants that. I feel like maybe the we, other should two. Just, we should just put Joker away for a little while. Like we could probably do a trilogy without him. I don't need him at this point. I almost what kind about of, the idea of uh, I was going to say, I almost kind of like the idea of them going forward with the movies and that kind of being Joker's entire thing that the Joker is almost this uh, Greek Oracle style character within Arkham. That's just egging on the other supervillains. Yeah. You know, kind well, of the see, he's he's yeah. the shit stirrer, if that makes sense. And what if he but he could be doing that and then he could use that position to orchestrate. So at the end of a trilogy or the beginning of like and not everything has to be a trilogy. I don't know why they have to say everything's a trilogy, but yeah. you know, sometime sometime in the future, now that he's like orchestrated all these other guys, he leads some sort of an attack to get himself and everybody else out of Arkham and 
all these all the kind of is the head of a team up against Batman kind of thing. Like that could all work. We'll see. Just because uh, I don't watch it anymore, but that Batwoman show that's on CW. Apparently reports have been coming out that they're going to have a comic accurate Joker, which I don't know what that means. One Here of, on the, one of the 35 different iterations of comic book Joker. Yeah. Right. So I'm just like, oh, fuck. So now he's going to be on this show. He's going to be on whatever the Arkham spinoff is. He's going to be on the CW show. Good Lord. Uh, the problem wow. is people are just as horny for Joker as they are for Batman. So, yeah. And they're still talking about doing a sequel yeah. to that. Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I don't think they will. I I don't know how you do that and uh, maintain the quality. I have no idea. I still haven't seen it. Anything else about this movie? I was a pretty big fan of it. I'm actually going to go see it again on Wednesday. Yeah. I don't think I'm as high on it as you are. But like I say, I'm a lot of like, like the Bruce Wayne stuff. Emo Bruce Wayne wasn't for me. Um, you know, it's some of the, it's not so much that anything was done poorly. It's just that's not the decision I would have made. Um, but overall, I still really liked it, and I'm excited to see what comes next. I'm a little nervous if they're going to be doing TV shows that I just don't have faith in them. I guess is what it comes down to. <laughs> I don't want them to screw it up. I don't know. They did Peacemaker, so that was pretty fabulous. It was a whole different bird, though. Ah, yeah, it's a, it's a bird. We should point out that there is there is a scene because Amanda lost it in the theater. I didn't even think about it till the scene was already over. They handcuff Penguin and like kind of try to get information out of him, and then they just walk away. And he does his, he does his little penguin waddle, trying to get up to him because his legs are shackled together. Yeah, yeah, Amanda just started laughing. I'm like, what? He's walking like a penguin, and I was like. Oh, all right. I love his reaction. I was also like, you like, guys suck. <laughs> I, I fucking, I laughed out loud just about the fact that they were just leaving them there. They're all like, they get the information they want from him and they, they, they got the two cars there. They both hop in and start driving away. And he's like, what, what, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> but that also like, it's because it was a fun moment, but it's also then it plays into the whole thing of like, you took this guy who's like a low-level crime lord who feels disrespected. You spat in his face, and next movie he's going to be the head villain. Like, good job. Maybe you shouldn't have treated him like that. You know, so it plays in uh, conceptually as well. Did we mention that? Uh, uh, what's his face? Peter Skarsgård is uh, <laughs> one of the random corrupt officials. Yeah, I was excited <laughs> to see him. I haven't seen him in anything in a while. It's the he was the DA, right? Yeah. So it was, it was like that though. It was like every actor was like, "Oh, I know that guy from somewhere." Oh, I know. You know anybody who could speak. Good. Not much Alfred in this movie. No. Oh, because uh, I did a Batman Easter egg article for Joe Blow coming up. I don't know if you okay. noticed, uh, but all the cards that Riddler left for Batman, all of them had an allusion to another Batman villain on the front. No. I didn't pick up on that. That's so the. Uh, First card had an owl on it, which kind of throws to the Court of Owls stuff, which if you guys yeah. haven't read that, the Court of Owls stuff is fantastic. I guess it could also be a reference to Owlman. It was also Owlman. One of them had kind of a floral print, and then 
the woman on the front had red hair. Just okay. throw, throw out a poison ivy. Yep. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, there's one that was like a doctor, but he had a bald head and glasses, which kind of references uh, Hugo Strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the last one, I think, uh, has like a ventriloquist dummy on it. It's just kind of a throw- nod to the ventriloquist and then the dummy Scarface. Scarface. I thought that was kind of fun. I didn't pick it up until I was doing some research and I was like, oh, shit. It's, we're all in there. It's too bad there's no reasonable way to do the ventriloquist and Scarface in a fucking oh, yeah. movie. Like, the, you need the Ben Affleck Batman for that one. You'd be like, this is the most ridiculous shit I've seen this Batman fight, so why not? How are we going to end this? Uh, is your mom's name Martha? It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some news for you. I gotta say, I cringed a little every time they used the word Martha in this movie. I'm still not over that. <laughs> Zack Snyder fucking ruined it. They even changed her last name. It didn't matter. Son of a bitch. Uh, one of the police officers also called Batman Zorro at one point, which yeah. had me had me laughing because I'm like, does anybody in this theater know who Zorro is? Well, that old guy probably does. <laughs> probably. Well, Zorro, and it's a reference to the fact that, like, yeah. in the comic books, it was Mask of Zorro. No, I totally got it. But I'm saying, does anybody in the theater even know who Zoro is? Do they even know that that's a tie into his origin? Probably not. When was the last time a Zoro thing came out? Is it Antonio Banderas? Yeah, that was a while ago. 90s? Was that the 90s? Yeah. Keep hearing they're talking. Must keep hearing that they're thinking about doing another movie. They'd bring yet another new Zoro in. Banderas would then pass it off onto him. It's kind of a neat idea. Those Zorro movies, I think, were good, were they? I Not never great, saw them. But so I, I don't remember die. it being bad. Yeah, I think I think the first one was pretty good. I don't know, the second one, I can't remember it at all. I might be wrong. <laughs> Logical thing for me to do would be to rewatch it and then have, develop an opinion that way, but nah. The only Just thing I remember. <laughs> the only Zorro thing I remember is from uh, fucking Family Guy in the 90s. They do one of their, you know, reference cutaways. They talk about like, yeah, it's almost as weird as that time Michael J. Fox played Zorro. And they're like, who was that masked man <clears throat> on the wall? You just see a bunch of weird scribbles because he couldn't do an actual Z. And oh, like, God. And I'm just like, oh, shit. Family guy pulling no punches. Yeah, they don't. They don't do that. Uh, so it sounds like positive all around. I might yep. be the most positive. I don't know. Doug didn't get it. Yeah. Discourse on the architecture of Gotham, which made you angry. I I feel like if if your climax is going to involve that many seawalls blowing up, there should have been some references to seawalls. <laughs> That's all. Just all explain right. to me I why do. there's seawalls and why blowing them up floods the city somewhere in there. I wouldn't say that was my my complaint was in a movie that's supposed to be about riddles and a puzzle and all that kind of stuff. I feel like the end of the movie you couldn't have figured it out before batman did you know what i mean which is the yeah the hallmark of a good mystery story is the fact that it should be solvable and this was no because even when batman and riddler have their showdown in arkham at the beginning it, they tease that the reveal is going to be that riddler knows batman's secret identity 
and they play that out like so even in that conversation you still don't know what's going on until the last minute which was a fun moment but it, it is kind of cheating mm. i mean sure i mean i guess you could argue they just don't batman doesn't have all the information so he can't come to that conclusion uh, yeah. when, when they do, uh, talk when they, when he does figure out the, the website stuff, does it clue you in a little bit more? And maybe you could argue that that's since he's so new in his Batman journey, his detective skills aren't up to snuff. Cause we do see him fudge a couple things throughout yeah. the movie, which I thought was pretty good. Well, and you see him accept information at times that is ends up not being reliable, which I thought was interesting because he's, he's still learning, right? Mm-hmm. What I, that was actually one of the things I liked that we haven't talked about is, so he goes to Falcone. Falcone gives him like information about his origin story, which he accepts. But then when he goes to Alfred, Alfred's like, no. And <laughs> by the end of it, everybody involved is like dead. So it's like, not only does do we not know who killed the Waynes? Like we have three options in front of us, one of which is random. So it's like <laughs> that could be a million smaller options, and yeah. we not. It feels like the answer is unknowable, and that that's yeah. something he's going to have to live with the rest of his life. Is that he'll never know whether it was Falcone, whether it was Maroni, or whether it was just some guy. Yeah, and there's, I like that idea because. I don't necessarily want it to be a conspiracy that killed the Waynes. I kind of like it better that it's just desperate guy. Yeah, they've gone back and forth because, you know, they reboot the DC universe, but every five years since the eighties. So they've actually gone back and forth a couple times that it goes from being that he knows who killed his parents. There's this guy named Joe chill who they did in the Nolan movies. There's been other times where it was just some random thug and, he never found out who it was. And so for him, every interaction with a thief or whatever, a mugger could be the person that killed his parents. He doesn't know. Yeah. And they, then they reset it and they go back to Joe chill. So I do like yeah. that. Even when Alfred's explaining it, he's like, I don't think that's what happened. I think we think this is what happened. We think Falcone had something to do with it, but I don't really know. Could have just been some random guy. Yeah. Uh, but I like that. I don't know. I do too. Uh, anything else before we wrap up, I guess? Nope, Take that no. as a no. <laughs> no. We'll think of some stuff as soon as we're done recording. Pretty much. Uh, yep. I was a big fan. So I'm uh, currently looking at some uh, Batman trade trades to read that I haven't read yet. Because I need some more Batman after seeing this. So Yeah. It's- that's the sign of a good comic book movie is when you want more of the characters after. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.